we have a guest on the line, and it should be a lot of fun. In a moment, I'm going to introduce you to her. Her name is Judy, and she has a very interesting last name, Gumbo, related to her longtime partner, Stu. And we'll hear that story, I'm sure, and more. Um, this was the, uh, an excerpt from the FBI surveillance files on Judy Gumbo. Of the individuals connected with the anti-war movement, the subject Judy Gumbo is considered to be the most vicious, the most anti-American, the most anti-establishment, and the most dangerous to the internal security of the United States. And I'm reading a little bit from her, from the uh, press release for her new book, Yippie Girl. Uh, exploits and protests and defeating the FBI, which is due for publication in May at uh, Three Rooms Press. In 1968, a 24-year-old woman moved to Berkeley, California and immediately became enmeshed in the Youth International Party, a.k.a. the Yippies, a recently formed satirical protest group. In the next few years, Judy Gumbo, a nickname given her by Eldridge Cleaver, was soon at the center of countercultural activity from protests in People's Park to meetings at Black Panther headquarters to running a pig for president at the raucous Democratic National Convention in Chicago, a protest that devolved into violent attacks by the police and arrests that led to the notorious Chicago conspiracy trial. In this insider feminist memoir, Gumbo reveals intimate details of her fellow radicals, Jerry Rubin, Anita and Abby Hoffman, Eldridge Cleaver, Paul Krasner, Stu Albert, and more detailing their experiences in radical anti-war protests and her own skirmishes with and victory over illegal FBI surveillance. Yippie Girl explores Gumbo's life as a protester to show that while circumstances always change, protesters can stay loyal to the causes they believe in and remain true to themselves. She also reveals how dogmatism, authoritarianism, and interpersonal conflict can damage those same just causes, offering a timeless and strategic guide for activists today protesting against injustice in all its forms. And so with that... Allow me to introduce Judy Gumbo, who's with us on the line from California. Good Hello. afternoon. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Hi. And, uh, I'm delighted to be talking to people in New York City. New York is one of my favorite places. Uh-huh. And, and thank you also for reading from the uh, press release. Let me just say that... Uh, Anyone who is listening is welcome now to um, uh, to put a request in for the book because if you do it now, not only do you get a discount, you uh, are helping to in make the uh, to inspire the publishers to make more copies of the book. And the, the publisher, you just all you need to do is go online and write in Yippie Girl. Exploiting, protest, and defeating the FBI, and you too can be a proud owner in May of this wonderful book. If I do say so myself. Well, Judy, also I I want to we could uh, maybe we should talk about this book uh, when it comes out as being a, a fundraiser for WBAI as well, and uh, maybe we could help you distribute a lot of these books as premium gifts for folks who become members of WBAI. I would be delighted. To do that. Wouldn't that, that would be, be fun? Absolutely divided. Yeah. I think so the let's, boss let's, is listening right now, so let's give Bertolt. Have you heard this? This is a great one. He's always asking me for book ideas. All right, here's a good well, one. 
I'm happy to do it. Hello, Bertolt. <laughs> so, uh, Judy, um, let's let's tell the folks a little. I mean, I don't know. If, uh, WBAI was in the midst of the 60s and the early 70s. I mean, I was a kid at home listening rapidly to Bob Fass, and geez, now all these years later, I'm sitting in on his show. Um, yeah, I knew Bob. I knew Bob. I didn't know him well, but I knew him. Uh, my one regret with Bob is that when Sue and I got married, for some reason, I neglected to put his name on the invitation list. So he never obviously was able to come to the wedding, which we held in Woodstock. Uh, but I made up, he and I made up many years later, and uh, it was when by the time he passed, he and I were very good friends. He was a wonderful guy, and his followers, his listeners, the Cabal, are with us tonight. And in fact, uh, later on, if we talk a few minutes, they are, they're always open to calling in and asking their own questions, uh, 212-209-2877, 212 is the on-air number, which you all should have memorized by now, next to the <laughs> p- pledge number. Um, and let's let's go back. How, how did a... Uh, a 24-year-old woman from from Toronto, from Canada? That's correct. Become a... I get to the United States? That, that is a... Usually, what are Americans going the other way to Canada during those years? Yeah, that's right. But I, uh, I married very young. I married when I was 20, and about three years later, I came home to find that first husband in bed with another woman. And that was enough to prompt me to leave. I don't know if you know this. There's a song, 16 Vestal Virgins Leaving for the Coast. I wasn't a virgin, but I left for the coast. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I actually have forgiven that uh, first husband for sleeping with another woman just because he started me on a life of yippiedom, which I loved and still do. And that's why I wrote uh, Yippie Girl, the book Yippie Girl. How so, sh- let me just give, yes, go ahead. Say, let me just tell you a little bit about. Uh, I grew up in a communist party family in Toronto. I was known I, I, as by what's called a red diaper baby, and I always called myself a red diaper yippie. Um, and when I moved to Berkeley uh, after you know, the fiasco of the, of the cheating husband, I met uh, a, a guy named Stu Albert. And luckily for me, Stu had two best friends. One was Eldridge Cleaver, Minister of Information for the Black Panther Party, and the other was Jerry Rubin. And uh, when I first landed in Berkeley, uh, and Stu and I got together really very quickly, because that's what you did in those days, um, Eldridge and Kathleen were both frequent visitors to our house. Uh, And Kathleen was the only woman member of the Central Committee of the Black Panther Party. Eldridge was the Minister of Information. He gave me the name Gumbo because he always used to call me Mrs. Sue, and I'd object. I, at one point, we were driving around in his car in San Francisco. He was driving, uh, he, uh, and he called me Mrs. Sue, and that was just, that was too much for the last right. time I said. Mrs. Is the first name of your husband, Mrs. Stew. Did you call right. yourself, were you Mrs. Albert at the time? Uh, no, 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 because Albert was Stu's last name. Yeah. I had chosen, I would have been Mrs. Hemblin, uh, and that was the name of the cheating first husband. And what's interesting is all through my FBI files, from the very beginning to, uh, well, we can talk about how I managed to get them to stop surveilling me, but from the very beginning, I was Hemblin to them. 
And so that name, the Hemblin name, haunted me uh, throughout, my, uh, really, until I uh, was able to um, get, get rid of it. And I can tell you that story if you like. Well, they, they didn't, the, the, the FBI did not recognize your divorce. What do they think, to the Vatican? I don't know, but actually, if you look at my FBI files, it looks like somebody. I'm getting uh, a person with multiple personality disorder is 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 there because they have five or six names listed. So let's jump into that. But let's start with how did you uh, meet up with the Yippies, and uh, what was it like? The whirlwind of activity that launched that that launched you into after that. Well, what I did, what Sue and I did, is we moved. Uh, in May of 1968 to New York City. We moved, that's one of the reasons I love, I love New York. We moved to Liberty House on Bleecker Street. Liberty House was a co-op that was selling goods made by uh, black people in Mississippi to support the civil rights movement. Abby was one of their first um, managers, although thinking of Abby as a manager is kind of amusing, but he was, and then he left to join the Yippies. Now, because Stu knew Jerry, uh, we basically met both Abby and Jerry and Anita and Nancy when we moved to New York. And that's how I first met the Yippies. And what was the first political action you got involved with with the Yippies? Well, the, the, there were, the Yippies had three iconic events. I missed the first two. One was the uh, uh, stopping the stock exchange by throwing money down at the balcony, down from the balcony, uh, and the greedy brokers grabbing at the money. And there's a great story about Abby, which is in my book, Yippie Girl, uh, about how that all happened. So I didn't get to go to the stock exchange. I missed the levitation of the Pentagon as well because I was still in Canada with the cheating first husband. Mm -hmm. But I was there for Chicago, uh, uh, the protest in Chicago. I did not, however, let me just say, even though Robin Morgan, uh, who was an original Yippie, who by then had, by, uh, by May uh, 1968, had left the Yippies because of the misogyny she encountered there, Robin had invited Nancy and I to go to uh, the Miss America pageant. And uh, we didn't do it. Um, Nancy Borman? Is that who you're referring to? Yes, Robin Morgan. Oh, okay. Um, okay, Robin. And, and she, yeah. yeah, and she invited us to the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City where there was a planned women's demonstration, the one that became famous. We, cho Nancy and I, chose not to go. We just basically stood by our men. Uh, that I regret, but you know, one does things in life that one regrets. In addition to doing all the great stuff, right? Was it that was a problem throughout the movement? As as uh, as idealistic as that movement, as the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement was, we we heard stories. You know, I don't know their truth or not, but uh, you know, the only place for a woman in this uh, movement it's on her back or uh, get the coffee. Right. Well, that, and that was, that was yeah, that was a, that was Stokely Carmichael was the person who said that. He later retracted it, just so you know. And it was the only place for women in the movement is prone. It, you know, it's an issue. There is a little bit of an issue about misogynist jokes. Is a joke, here's my question, is a joke that hurts or denigrates uh, or makes fun of or categorizes, is that really still a joke? 
Of course not. Right, right. That's the big problem. So how did you find out? So you were in Chicago. How did – give us – we know a little bit about Chicago because this is Bob Fass's cabal. Of, of, that we're well-schooled, most of us, I hope, in the history of the Chicago, uh, what happened during the Democratic National Convention in 1968 and its aftermath and the trial. But you were, you were there up close, personal. What was it like to you? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because I actually thought I'd read you a couple of paragraphs from Yippie Girl. Please. Uh, and you'll get a good sense of, of what it was like. Behind me, I, now we're now in uh, Lincoln Park, okay, which is where we were supposed to, we were, we had to tried our best to get permits to the camp and they were denied by the daily administration. Behind me on a hill, a gray-white cloud billowed a few feet off the ground, while in front of the cloud, an army advanced. They looked to me like robots marching in lockstep, illuminated by globules of white light, white, of white light like landing lights on an alien spacecraft. I didn't feel afraid, just the opposite. I reveled in the thrill of being in a live-action anti-war documentary. A sense of power surged through me to deliver to me that moral courage I needed to do my part. My hatred of injustice had, injustice had triumphed over fear. Stu, Jerry, Nancy, and I scrambled to our feet. The spectral line advanced. Screams punctuated the gloom. I opened my mouth to breathe only to inhale gas so toxic I might as well have snorted Drano. Tears burned a channel down my face. My eyes shut of their own accord. By the time I was able to open them, Nancy and Jerry had vanished. My courage did not. I grabbed Stu's hand and ran down a slope and toward a tree now outlined in flashes of rotating red and blue light. Under it, Famous poet Allen Ginsberg sat, prophet-like in lotus position, chanting Om, as if to remind the planet that even in the midst of chaos, all life is interconnected. In high school, I'd been so taken with Ginsberg's epic, Ginsberg's epic poem Howl that I'd smear black makeup over and under my eyes, then walk to my high school pretending to, a beat, to be a beatnik but looking like a raccoon. <laughs> Passing cards haunted me in derision. Sue and I fled in Ginsburg's direction seconds before the gas. I arrived to find the renowned poet now in a seat, chanting, le- leading a procession of his acolytes out of the park, still chanting Om. So much for mantras, peace, and loving spiritual practice. Even Buddhist serenity must surrender, surrender to get amber waves of gas. That was Chicago for me. It was, a, it was tear gas everywhere. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And uh, what about what were you involved at all with what I've many have said and, you know, including like corporate ad sales type, you know, flax often refer to Pegasus running a pig for president as one of the greatest public relations stunts ever pulled off for any reason ever. That is that is correct. Um, And uh, I was. You ran a pig basically in the midst of the Vietnam War where people were, you know, F the pigs. You guys decided to actually get a pig, a live squealing pig, and run him for president. That's correct. That's correct. I will tell you that story if you like. Yes. I would love you to. Okay. It's obviously in my book, Yippie Girl, but uh, I'll let me tell you as best I can remember. So um, we had made the decision to, to run a pig for president. And... It was, and I have a chapter in my book called The Big Pig Fight, where Abby and Jerry basically get into a fight with each other over what, what size Pegasus should be. 
Abby wanted a small cute pig. Jerry wanted a large hog to represent the American government. Uh, and, uh, and, and so when the, the day, the, the, more, the, the evening after, or the afternoon after their big pig fight, uh, Jerry, Phil Oaks, who was there, uh, uh, I, Sue, a guy named Wolf Lowenthal, a local guy named Vince Black, and a few others piled into a station wagon uh, that the FBI uh, described as a, a 19-whatever-it-is Willie's Jeep, and we drove out to a farm. And to me, it was, a, it was, it was actually quite great driving out to the farm because it would remind me a lot of Canada. The, the, it, the Ohio looks a lot like the Canada I knew. So we drive out to the farm, we pull in, and, uh, uh, and everybody sort of piles out of the car, and uh, we know, and a farmer comes up, and he's got you know the usual farmer outfit, straw hat, and so forth. And well, he he says, "Can I help you, boys?" Ignoring me, uh, and he, and we we say, "We want to buy a pig." And um, the farmer says, "Well, we got lots of pigs." And, said, and I asked, "Well, can you pick it? Can you choose one for us?" And the farmer says, "No, no, Missy, you got to go choose it for yourself." So uh, Jerry did not join in the going into the pig pen to get the pig. Phil, neither did Phil Oaks. But Stu and I and the rest of the gang jumped in, and eventually uh, we managed to grab the pig by its tail and pull it out, uh, oinking out of, covered with, with what I hoped was mud, but was probably, you know, pig poop. Uh, we put it back into the station wagon. Phil paid the farmer $20, and we drove back into Chicago uh, and... Uh, bedded the pig down for the night. One of the people who was with us was a guy named Wolf Lowenthal, who was an expert in karate, and uh, Wolf volunteered to uh, guard the pig while we, uh, all of us, one after the other, went into the shower, and I, as I watched the, uh, the, the, the gunk, let me call it that, the gunk <laughs> yes. go off my body. There <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't say that four-letter word, but it's one on our list of seven words. Thanks to George that's, Carlin. That's, 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 that's what I figured. But gunk is okay, right? Yes, that's fine. So the gunk, is, and, and, and then we called a press conference the next day. And, and uh, Stu and Jerry and I and uh, Vince and some of the other people, went, we went to the press conference. There's a great picture of it in my book, Yippie Girl. Uh, and um, the pre press conference itself lasted about five minutes. We had had a strategy session beforehand as to what we were going to say about the pig and uh, and how the pig was represented imperialist America. And I, I said, well, Pegasus is female. Uh, I didn't get very far with that one at that point. Um, but we, So we had this press conference, and a lot of press were there. Jerry was a genius at calling, the, at getting the press to do what he wanted. So a lot of press were there. We went to the, the Civic Center, and the Pegasus and Jerry and uh, uh, um, Sue and Vince Black and some of the others were arrested. I was not. My job was to um, help the boys make bail. And actually, that was the start of my career. I put that as the start of my career as a fundraiser, which I have. That was the majority of my professional career, not to fundraise for pigs, but to fundraise for Planned Parenthood. But anyway, so the, we, the pig was arrested. Uh, and, and at one point, and, and uh, uh, Jerry and Stu were in a jail cell. And at one point, a big, fat cop who 
looked like a pig came up to Jerry and Stu behind bars and said, Boys, I have some bad news for you. The pig squealed. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, basically, and then I investigated this story a lot and, uh, because I'm always, I was very interested in the gender of the pig. And uh, eventually uh, it became pretty clear that the, our pig uh, was, in fact, female. And, um, uh, and it's not clear. There were more than one pig. The thing I want to say is that there were, there were more than one pig in Chicago. There was more than one pig in Chicago. Uh, uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I'm talking about porcine. <laughs> well, I'm talking about non-human, okay? okay. Non-human. There was more than one non-human pig brought to Chicago, um, including the one that was arrested. And we heard that, I heard that our pig had been sacrificed and eaten at a Chicago cop barbecue, but that's not what uh, the um, head of the Chicago Humane Society said. He said that Pegasus was happily on a farm. And again, I tell all, all as many Pegasus or Pegasi stories I know in Yippie Girl. Wow, cool. Now, uh, while we, there's so much to tell. I want to just come real quick while we have a few minutes and talk about your uh, how the FBI got onto you and started putting devices on your car and following you around. And what prompted the FBI to target you in that way? Well, it, in, in brief. Yeah. I was in um, uh, Chicago, in, uh, in Washington D.C. on May Day, uh, or, and, and I was helping organize the May Day demonstrations, which were the, the a very large anti-war demonstrations. Something like fourteen thousand people ended up getting arrested. But a t- a two months before May Day, when I was also in Chicago helping organize, the Weather Underground blew up a um, bathroom in the United States Capitol. And because they didn't have anybody else to look for, I became what's known as a prime suspect. And I probably should have suspected it because we, we were living in a, in a house on, I forget the name of the street, but um, across the street was a fire station. And you could literally see the camera taking pictures of our house from the fire station. And, and uh, so... When that happened, when the weather underground blew up, the, blew up this bathroom in the Capitol, it, it, everything started to feel a little um, strange and uh, unsettled. So I, I and Sue and two of my companions, we jumped into my Volkswagen. And again, the story is told in much greater detail in Yippie Girl. Uh, we uh, jumped into the Volkswagen and, and drove uh, toward New York City, where we were basically living at the time. Only our car was stopped. Uh, we were, I was put in the back of one police car. The boys were put in the, uh, the back of another. There were all these flashing lights around us. My car, my VW Bug, was, uh, was basically strip searched. They didn't find anything. And, uh, and after a, a number of hours, I can't tell you how long because it just seemed like forever, uh, I, uh, I, they, they, we were released. We were let to, got back in the car. And uh, then I heard a knock on the window. I practically freaked out. I heard a knock on the window. I rolled down the, the window to VW, and I was handled, handed a ticket for a bald tire that was signed by James Bond. So <laughs> They're trying to that, scare you. They're trying to intimidate you. Exactly. 
Exactly. Well, they did. I mean, they did a really good job at that, I'll tell you. Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm told that the FBI is uh, the last people you want on your back, as uh, Mark Meadows is discovering right now. Exactly. That's exactly right. Right well, or left. That, yeah. As, as a result of that, uh, Sue and I basically, they, they kept, we were living in New York. They came knocking on the door. We decided to move. We moved to the Catskill Mountains, which gave the FBI a great opportunity to drive. They loved us. Because we drove, we had we drove. We, they drove up from New York to the Catskills, put us under surveillance, and ate in this great steak place and uh, called the I don't remember the name of it. Um, this called the Skyline Motel, and uh, that's you know. And 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 when they really decided, and this is all in my FBI files, and also also in Yippy Girl, that I was not. Uh, uh, a subject, uh, a prime subject in this bombing, they decided they would look for Abby, because by then Abby had gone underground. Uh, and so I, I, I went from being prime suspect number one to prime suspect number two. And then what basically happened was that I went, Sue and I uh, went down, drove down to New York City, and we um, went to see uh, Bill Kunstler and Margie Ratner. Bill Kunstler is the famous attorney, and uh, his uh, wife, Margie Ratner, and we, um, I, I, you know, we went up. I drove up to their house, and I remember this very clearly. There was something weird, and what was weird? There was a guy, basically standing or walking outside their house, uh, in a trench coat, and uh, you know, he looked. He, he was not in disguise. He looked like an FBI agent. So the next morning, I went to my car, and there was another guy walking up and down, and. I looked, I, and, and, and my feminist intuition kicked in. I looked, uh, I, I went around the, the, I circled the car, and I noticed that, you know, we'd driven down, so there was a lot of dirt on the bumper, but there was one area that was uh, clean, and there was a wire hanging down from the back of the car, uh, from the bumper. And even I, uh, not necessarily an expert in cars, although I'm not bad, I knew that there should not be a wire hanging down from the bumper. So um, we drove to Bill and Margie's, and Bill, who had very long arms, reached under the car and pulled off a tracking device. It was about six inches by four inches, and uh, he said something to the effect of, I believe this is the first time that someone has ever found something like this. So, as a result, the FBI, and we got an enormous amount of FBI files, something like uh, 10 pounds, uh, I forget, to, you know, 10, how many pages? 1,300 pages of files and, uh, and, a, and a monetary settlement. And right. that And that's when they obviously, decided, oh, and then we had put the, the tracking device in a uh, safe at the Center for the Con- for Constitutional Rights in New York, the the sa- the center was broken into, and the only thing that was taken was the safe that contained my tracking device. And we discovered later that the reason for that was because the FBI agent uh, agents would have been charged for the cost of the tracking device had they not been able to return it. Yeah, that was J. Edgar Hoover. He was a stickler for that kind of thing. Receipts well, you know, or everything. My, my, that's right. My favorite uh, quote from the files is, Judy Gumbo and Sue Albert are difficult to surveil because of the extreme paranoia 
that pervades their thinking about being surveilled. I guess. I guess. What's the old saying? Uh, I'm not being paranoid. You're not being paranoid. Somebody really is out to get you. Exactly. Those are actually two chapter titles that I have in Yippie Girl. There you go. And and I love you know this one here where you were considered. Now, why? I mean, you seem like a very reasonable person politically, and here they're saying you you're, you're vicious, anti-American, and the most anti-establishment, and the most dangerous to the internal security of the United States. You don't I'm, seem like I'm that kind of. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Yes, and just to, um, I want to go back and, and remind people about the book and everything, but uh, what are your views on what's been happening in the last few years? Do you think it's a deja vu all over again? What's happening since uh, uh, the last four years, five years? Well, you know, I debate, I debate with my husband whether, whether the repression is greater or less now than it was back in my day. I think the whole situation is horrific, and I'm especially uh, horrified. Again, uh, by at the factionalism and the way the left is eating each other up. I think that is the worst possible thing that could happen in order to um, uh, get out of the situation that we're in. So uh, I, I, I'm, I see the rise of fascism on the horizon, but I'm not prepared to say we're there yet because I don't think we are. But I know that the factionalism, the back and forth, the backbiting, the hatred, the political correctness is really, really wrong. That if, if we're going to do anything to stop what's going on, we need to be able to build a mass movement of people who can cooperate with each other and work with each other. And boy, the way we are now is just not happening. So I am unhappy, and I'm hoping that Yippie Girl uh, will do two things. One, it's funny, so it'll be a relief from the every morning you wake up and you get this terrible news. It'll be a relief for people who read it. And also, I think that um, it, we just really need to take a step back and ask ourselves, what is really our main goal and who are our friends? And just, as I just said, just stop, stop the factionalism. Right. Stop the authoritarianism. That's a really good I, advice. I, I have. I, I had. A, he's dead now. I had a friend in Vietnam, um, and he would say this to me, and it's something that I live by. This is what he said. He said, "Be good to friends who are good to you, but also be good to friends who are bad to you, for only friends will go with you on the long road to revolution." Okay. Very interesting. And you've been to Vietnam. Years later, right? Uh, three times. I've been to Vietnam three times, yes. And uh, what was it like being, uh, you know, f fighting against that war so uh, diligently and then actually going there and meeting the people? Well, I the people are amazing, and there's an, an awful lot of young people who are, you know, weren't around in the war, but they are very getting, they get educated because there's, there's major museums about the war and there's on the street and we're also friends on the street there are you know just people who are uh, uh, just also all, all, all you know you can walk up and down there and, and then there's exhibits with pictures you know we are good friends with the man who is the head of the Vietnam USA Society which is responsible for Vietnam relationships with the United States and he is looking for people here in this country who would be interested in working to help uh, uh, make 
Vietnam's interests that are known here. Uh, and uh, he talks to us a lot about that. How can we, because all the people that he knows from the anti-war movement, we're in our 70s, we're in our 80s, we're not the youth. He is looking for young people who would really be interested in doing some work for Vietnam because uh, the, the Vietnam was able to, to lift itself out of poverty uh, and starvation because of products that they are able to sell here in the United States, whether it's tech or clothing. Uh, I mean, there, 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 Vietnam has really relies on Americans to buy the stuff that allows them not to uh, literally have to live in poverty. And so um, if, if anyone's interested, I guess you could, if you go to my website, uh, you can contact me and I will pass your name on to the, the Vietnam USA Society because they're a very worthy group. And all I can say is it's, it's, it's like... What's your website? Us. Tell people your website, oh, Judy Gumbo. My website is That's easy to remember, right? Yippiegirl.com. Yippiegirl.com. And if, if there's a, a contact Judy Gumbo on it. And, uh, you know, for me, working especially to help Vietnam today is a form of reparations for what we did to them in the war. Very good. And so tell folks when the book is going to be out. The book will be out on May 3rd, uh, 2022. Right. And it's Yippie Girl, Exploits and Protests and Defeating the FBI by Judy Gumbo. I don't know. We don't we didn't have any call-ins. It's late night, 212-209-2877. If anybody has any questions or comments, usually uh, we get somebody call in and say, um, what about uh, 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 what what about the, the wasn't it a protest at the U.S. Capitol? Wasn't uh, the woman who was shot and killed? The, why shouldn't she be? Uh, uh, why is she any different than uh, Laurel Krauss or uh, Alison Krauss or uh, you know what, what? What is? Weren't they protesters too at the Capitol on January sixth? All protests, all protests, all protesters do not have the same goal and do not have the same politics. There's a really huge difference between right-wing, Trumpy people who are invading the Capitol and those of us who protested to help end the war or to help end racism or help end misogyny. There's a world of difference. The, 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 The form may be the same, but the substance is absolutely opposite. Uh, we have a call, calls coming in. If you have a minute or two, let's try. You are on the radio. Hey, I thought you were asking for the most negative caller on PA. Oh, right. Yes, I was. Okay, but we, we, there's a number of people calling, so make a quick question or comment, then we're going to go on. I'd to like it. to know what uh, Judy, why she doesn't call it Yippie Woman instead of Yippie Girl, and what does she think about Bob Fass's observation that the January 6th demonstration was a Reichstag fire? Does she know what the Reichstag is? Thanks very much. All right, Russell. Russell is uh, is okay. he's the most conservative person who calls regularly. Yes. Uh, I don't call. I I thought about it. I've argued with myself a lot about it, but I don't call it Yippie Girl because I was a girl. I was not a woman. It took going through the sixties to uh, become a woman. And I'll just quote Simone de Beauvoir to you: "One is not born." But rather becomes a woman, and right. that is that is why it's called Yippie Girl because it's my transition, my journey from girlhood to womanhood. 
All right. Another call. You're on yes, the radio. Yes, I... Yeah. Go. We have another caller on the line. You're on the line. Hello. Hello. Oh, it's Aaron K. The Pie Man. Speaking of Pie Man, Aaron, welcome Hi, to the Judy. conversation. Hi, Judy. Hey, Aaron. How you doing? Okay. Here's the thing I want to let you guys know about. I was watching CNN a little while ago. Well, Fox, you know, Fox is trying to go after Jimmy. Oh, Aaron, we lost Aaron. Lost his phone. Hi, you're on the radio. Hello? You're on delay. You have to listen to the phone and not to the to the radio. Are you there? Uh, I just turned down the radio. Is this me? Yes. Just make a question or comment so we don't have a real lot of time, so. Yeah, greetings to the beloved community. Judy, I love your story, and uh, congrats and good luck. I have a, a couple questions for you, and I'll listen over the air. First of all, what did you feed the pigs? And <laughs> the more serious question is, um, first of all, it, it's not neo-fascism. If you pick up Professor Jason Stanley's book, uh, How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us, and then it's absolutely where where we are. And thank you for speaking of the factionalism within the progressive co co community. That definitely needs to be dealt with. We don't even, we have a problem talking to each other. You know, ask another progressive to pick up the phone for whatever reason. You might have a news story or you want to follow up with, say, uh, some book tales and premiums. And that could be problematic. But the main question is, since this is fascism coming down, you guys were very clever with the pigs for president and the levitating of the Pentagon. Have you thought about some equivalence that the left and progressives could come together to get the attention of the country is unraveling? So, so somewhat thankful for COVID, okay, because it needs to go in an unraveling uh, portal direction. But what would be a modern-day equivalent, if you can imagine, if you come back and share with us in terms of the type of um, astounding PR you guys were involved with back in the day? And I'll listen over there. Right. This is my act from the grotto. Thank you, Maya. Great. And then I'm going to go back to, let's see if that's Aaron. Hi, you're on the radio. Hello. Uh, Aaron's back with us. Well, there's a lot there, Judy. Okay, so you guys were talking. You guys are friends for a long time, I guess. You know, back before yeah. I even knew you, and, and Aaron and I, we go let, let, way back. Hey, Paul, let me just answer, give yes. Maya one answer, which is this. There are yippies now. There's a group I just found out about. They go around the country with asking the question, are birds real? They do. Just look look up. Are birds real? And and these are people who go around. And they're asking a very satiric question, and that's their job, and that's what they want to do. So, uh, while I don't have a good yippee uh, response to how do we deal with all the craziness and um, uh, and 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 incipient fascism or what? I mean, I you know, it, it, we can get too complex too quickly on what is fascism, but really. Find the are birds real people, and you'll see that there are still yippies, young people who want to satirize everything. Cool. Hey, speaking of satire, Fox, Fox had a big setback today in federal court. You know, Fox is trying to sue Dominion. Oh, there's some suit 
between Fox and Dominion over libel in the election. All right, Dominion suing Fox. Yeah, yeah, Dominion's going after Fox. Mm -hmm. Fox tried to get the uh, suit thrown out. The judge wouldn't do it. Wow. Well, that's good. So Fox might be held accountable for uh, stirring up violence. Along with uh, Giuliani and uh, Sidney Powell and all these other... Mm -hmm. Claiming that uh, that there was some uh, Venezuelan connection to the steel. It was all made up. It's all coming out. All you have to see is all those texts that are coming out, right? No, but here's the thing, though. His own son is begging him to stop doing it. The thing is this. Certain people are right. You know, if you're going to prosecute these people, these fascists, you got to get the ones who are like the inner core. You know, people like the Twin Brothers, people like that. Right. And uh, Mark Meadow and his other slime balls. The one at the top. The ones at the top. All right, Aaron. So that's good. I'm going to leave that. And uh, there's another call coming in. I want to give them an opportunity. Listen, I'm gonna- Wait. Hang on. Call All right. Yeah, let's call in. We'll, we'll go to some answering and going back and forth in a minute. You're on the radio. Yeah, you guessed the one? Yeah. Uh, what does she think about Yes, I am. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you think protesting should change its tactics and do something different, something different than than has been. Oh. I, I think, yeah. I, I, let me just say, I think the protest that is appropriate to the moment is what needs to happen. In other words, there are tactics that are tried and true, right? Marching in the streets being a good example. That should continue. And certainly if if the Supreme Court denies abortion rights, we've got to get out there. Uh, all Everyone, we've got to get out there and we've got to stay out there and continue to protest. So, uh, and what you can do, though, you also have to look at it from the point of view of, is there something that has not been done that you could do that would make a difference? Uh, and, you know, media is so fickle these days. You, you, you do one thing and the next day it's gone. You do something else and the next day it's gone. I think that really that right now that mass protest in the streets, peaceful, if at all possible, appropriate tactics depending on the issue and in 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 my mind the issue that's coming up that really we have to uh uh talk about and and protest is what's going to happen to women's uh, to women's and and female people's right to control our bodies right i mean that's the estimate that this is the first real uh reduction in rights in my time i mean i i I came of age in a time of uh, of great advances in civil rights legislation and voting and housing and all these and jobs and everything. And now this is the first one where there's a, a step back, a serious step back. And isn't it always true that women are the ones the first to be sacrificed, to be burned at the stake or drowned? Right. Let's go back to Salem. I mean, this is this. That's why women, especially, have got to. We have got to fight for our, the right to control our bodies, uh, however we arrived at them. Right. We have another call coming in. You have a question or comment for Judy Gumbo. I guess not. All right. Well, Judy, it's great. You spent a whole hour. We were expecting a half hour. Here we are 50 minutes later. Wonderful. Well, 
terrific. Right. Any last words for us uh, here in New York? Yes. Hello, New York. I love you, New York. Please put in a pre-order for Yippee Girl, Exploits in Protest and Defeating the FBI. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. As a matter of fact, you'll love it. All right. If you're listening to, if you're listening to WBAI, I promise you'll love it. <laughs> and particularly Bob Fass's show on WBAI. Thanks so much, yeah. Judy Gumbo, for joining us and taking us on a rip-roaring trip through the 60s and preparing this wonderful book that we all can't wait to get a copy of. Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting me. I really appreciate anytime, it. Anytime. Anytime. You're always welcome on board. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye now. Bye. Judy Gumbo joining us. And, of course, her book is Yippee Girl, Exploits and Protests and Defeating the FBI by Judy Gumbo. It's due out on May 3rd, 2022.